It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. It's a Monday. Who wants to talk sports? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host, John Riley, from our studios in San Diego. We welcome you to our bonus podcast as we broadcast up and down the West Coast. John, an enormous number of topics on the table. We're going to go from this sport to that sport to the other sport. we got opinions. we got controversies. we got late-breaking stories, and we'll have our fans forum at the end. Where do you want to start? Okay, well, we got to go to Augusta. I mean, this is one of the majors, spectacular event. All the big names got together. So let's go to the Masters. 87th Masters in Augusta. We saw a little bit of everything. Pine trees falling down, rain blowing sideways, the greens getting flooded, and then an unbelievable last day marathon in which some of these guys played a total of 30 holes. And when we were done... The guy from Spain won it. He has now become the fan's man. I'm talking about John Rahm. What he did was amazing. Came from four strokes back to beat Brooks Kepka. Took the thing away from him. What he did was methodical. It was fanatical. It was <laughs> focused. It was dynamic. And it was reverent. I think the most impressive thing to me about what John Rahm did, not just the comeback win... But, but his love for Augusta, the symbol of the Masters Tournament, and his respect for the great Spaniards of yesteryear, be it Seve Ballesteros, Juan Maria Olazabo, whomever. Tremendous golfer. He has won four tournaments in his last nine outings. He's got a couple of majors under his belt now. He's got 10 top 10 finishes in the last year and a third on the PGA Tour. And right now, he's the hottest guy on the tour. And I think everybody has put their arms around the Spaniard for what he has made himself into. The galleries on the fairway going towards the 18th green and then around the green were 20 deep. It was absolutely amazing. And he responded just by playing steady, focused, intense golf bunch of birdies to make up the difference, an odd bogey here or there. But this is the guy that has really captured the fancy, I think, of all the golf fans across America. And of course, we've got the after effect of the PGA LIV war and the guys who left and the anger and the resentment that was left behind. This guy has picked up that master's flag that this guy has carried the PGA flag and said, follow me. I'm the new hero. Uh, in terms of uh, Brooks Kepka, I hate to use the word choke job, but his <laughs> his game over the last 30 holes, John, was just not the same as we had seen him play on Friday and even on Saturday during the course of all the rain. I've never played on the Pro Tour and not much of a golf guy. I'm a huge golf fan. I wonder if it's tougher, John. And I saw that some of the golf balls you hit that were down on the street corner, they're <laughs> yeah. under a car. Yeah. I wonder, John, if it's easier to play from in front or to play from behind chasing down the leader. Brooks Kepka, who finally won a tournament on the LIV Tour a couple of weeks ago, 
Brooks Kepka, who had done really well in his young career and then had injury after injury and wound up leaving to go to LIV, Kepka went 21 straight holes without a birdie. 21. And he piled up a bunch of bogeys along the way, and all of a sudden, boom, John Rahm goes by him, and Kepka's running uphill and chasing second place and fighting with Phil Mickelson. Just not the same golfer. So I don't know whether or not he caved in under the pressure or he just never found himself. There was no consistency off the tee to the fairway, fairway to the green. He had no easy putts along the way. He just wasn't placing his shots. So that that was a big setback there. Let's talk about Phil Mickelson. Everything with Lefty went right on the weekend. (laughs) That's the best that he has played in a couple of three years. Mm-hmm. It's the best he's played since he vacated, <laughs> took the money, and ran to the Saudi Super League. I mean, Phil Mickelson was electric. I mean, we had seven birdies there. And this looked like vintage Phil Mickelson at the height of his popularity on the Pro Tour, where he was aggressive going to the green, pinpointing, making his putts, dropping birdies in there. I mean, you reel off seven birdies on the final day, you go 65 on the final day at Augusta. That looked like the Phil Mickelson of old when he used to be the fan's man, not a guy who's finishing 25th to 46th in every one of the LIV tournaments. I was so impressed. He looks to be in much better shape. The smile is back in his face. His shots were the kind of shots that Phil Mickelson used to make, whether it was at a Torrey Pines or winning at Augusta, winning at some of the other major tournaments. So I I was pleased for him, at least on that one Sunday. But unfortunately, he goes back abroad. He becomes the enemy again uh, at at the LIV. And there were some other guys that really finished strong. Uh, I've got got to say that Jordan Spieth, whose career has just been sidetracked by a ton of different injuries, he had nine birdies yesterday couple of bogeys. Nine birdies on Augusta on the final Sunday of the tournament. That that was pretty impressive. Uh, now, off the course, whole bunch of stories there to talk about. Obviously, uh, there is still lingering animosity LIV. They didn't interview Phil. Phil, the face of LIV. <laughs> not interviewed on the CBS Masters. How could that be when you consider how bloody hot he was and what he did over three and a half days with all the bad weather and everything, they didn't interview him. And Brooks Kepka made a comment, and it was the only time the LIV was mentioned. He says, we're not a bunch of washed-up golfers. Uh, you know, three of the top five finishers on the leaderboard were guys from abroad, from the LIV. But Masters was superb. John Rahm has made a statement as to who he is right now. And now I think he has replaced Mickelson. And to a degree, Tiger, who we're going to talk about next, is the fan's man. What a really, really great player. And I I think style, I think persona, and I think his respect for all the great guys on the PGA Tour for decades and decades. He's talking about guys going back to the 60s that he respected. That's pretty impressive. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it was just an incredible tournament, especially the way those those trees fell and like it barely missed uh, yeah. people. I mean, it was shocking that no one was hurt by that. But I'm just watching this tournament unfold, and in 
you have to think that it was the 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 talk that wasn't really said is which league is going to win this? Is it PGA? Is it LIV? And John Rahm has just been cleaning house in the PGA. So love seeing this. Um, he did a great job. I mean, but how many times have we seen golfers in these major tournaments just melt down? And usually it's Tiger that's like chasing him. Uh, but you know, you're in the Masters and it's on Sunday and there's a lot of pressure. So you tell me, I mean, before you started hitting golf balls under cars in a parking lot, uh, do you think it's tougher to be in the lead and having guys chase at you? Or is it tougher to be behind and trying to make up ground on whoever is atop the leaderboard? Well, I think it just depends on your self-esteem. I mean, if you are really confident in yourself, then get in the lead and hold the lead. But um, sometimes people, you know, do better chasing from behind because it keeps them aggressive. Some just can't hang on to that lead while they're going through it. Okay, let's talk about the other storyline as it relates to coming out of the Masters in Augusta. And this is a storyline that is going to carry on. What's your reaction to what you saw? Because what I'm going to say is probably not going to be very popular. You know, I saw uh, like just some video clips on Twitter of of Tiger hobbling around the course. It was sad to see this. I, I like to hear your breakdown. Well, uh, I don't want his legacy and career to wind up being a pity party. I think he needs to step away from the pro golf tour. He's one of the richest men in sports in the world. If he needs more surgery to repair the leg, the ankle, the foot, do it. He has access to the best surgeons and therapists and rehab people in the world. He should not be on the pro golf tour right now. It was sad at the end of Saturday when they finally had the horn sound and they pulled everybody off because of the driving rainstorm, it was sad, a shot of him coming off a green, dragging that withered left leg behind like he could hardly walk. If he can't walk from the green to the clubhouse, what makes him think he can walk 18 holes and play and make shots along the way? I I agree with you. It's sad. We remember Tiger... For all the majors, the unbelievable shots, the comebacks, and the personality. Greatest modern-day golfer of all time. But I'm sorry, we also remember Tiger for a broken marriage, mistresses, drugs, (laughs) arrests. Obviously, the latest incident, which is probably going to lead to a potential lawsuit, his addiction to painkillers, the untold truths of the horrors of the terrible auto accident in which he flipped his SUV, and nobody's talking about the fact he nearly killed himself, nearly got ejected, almost had to have his leg amputated. I just think we don't need to see Tiger dragging a leg behind, unable to play, and still expecting people to stand up and salute him. Greatness, yes, but everything he did as a player has now been offset, I think, by what he has allowed himself to become as a person. Think about this. When he withdrew before they teed off on Sunday, he was in last place. He was 22 shots behind Brooks Kepka at the start of what would have been the delayed third and then into the fourth round. I just don't like the idea of seeing his pity party out there. Uh, it really bothers me. I remember all the greatness of what he was, but I cannot forget all the junk that he got himself involved in that I think has wrecked his reputation as a person and in danger is going to linger with him that maybe wrecks his reputation 
as a player if he continues. I think he needs to step away. He's broken. Yeah, I mean, how many athletes have we seen that don't know when to give it up, right? You know, they hang around too long. I think Tiger's an interesting case because he wants to leave a legacy. He wants to be remembered in a good light. And this is the only thing he knows how to get back to. He's lived golf his whole life. He's probably trying to go out with a positive finish, but it may be no chance left. I mean, he he just can't walk the course. And he can't play the course now either. Yeah. Let's keep that in mind. I, I hate to, I hate to be cruel about this, but he's broken, and he needs to see that he's broken. And this pity party, I think, has to end. I would hope he'd step away from the tour and get himself healthy. Whether or not he plays again, I don't care because we got the great memories of all the majors and the grand slams and the unbelievable finishes mm-hmm. and margins of victories and the great shots. But I just, I really dislike seeing it this way and him trying to be something now that he used to be that'll never, ever be again. End of sermon, my thoughts. <laughs> no, I agree with you. You know, so it's time to know when it's time to turn the page. I mean, well, how many other athletes have we seen that have stuck around too long? Like Joe Namath in the 70s with the bad but knees. There, and- there, yeah, there's a difference between sticking around at age 40 and trying to be a quarterback or, or you know, age 40, hitting home runs and, and wind up hitting 218. But I think this is so radically different because this is an absolute physical breakdown of the person. And you got all the baggage that he's still dragging with him from behind yeah. because of all of his bad decisions. I'd like to hear what uh, the people on live stream think about Tiger Woods, what he should do next. So feel free to join us. And before we get to the next topic on the table, John, tell people about our fans forum and tell people about subscribing. Okay, so yeah, you can get involved in the fans forum. We've already got a number of questions that have been piling in. So just type in your question or comment for Hacksaw in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. We'll get to those at the conclusion of Hacksaw's headlines. And be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We're on all the audio platforms. And be sure to subscribe there on YouTube. You know, there's a there's a subscription button right below the video if you're watching there on YouTube. And don't forget, if you're looking at any of our videos, hit the thumbs up button, let people know you like what you're seeing. And go to my website, leehacksawhamilton.com. It's all written every day. We post new stuff. It's there the next morning. And check my one man's opinion column that I just wrote about the guy that's wearing the green jacket (laughs) at the Masters Golf Tournament. On we go. Topic on the table, baseball. Baseball. I mean, the Padres are on this road trip. And, you know, we were a little worried about them when starting off this season. But, boy, did they look good in Atlanta. I mean, this has been great. Uh, I'll use the term small sample size. I know you're ready to order World Series tickets, but small sample size. Uh, Padres beat up a battered Atlanta Braves pitching staff. They they roughed them up really badly, winning three or four. Now they go into New York. They're going to face the Mets team. Oh, the Mets have got nine pitchers on the disabled list, and they've lost their starting catcher. So the Mets are not the same team. But that being said, let's just talk about the Padres. Four quality starts in a row from the guys at the back of the rotation. Michael Waka, mm-hmm. Seth Lugo <coughs> have done a really, really good job at the back of the rotation in terms of quality starts. And the intangible thing, John, they're eating up innings, and that is huge. Nelson Cruz, he's batting 350. Now, that's pretty impressive. Not played a ton of games, but he's hitting some long balls. He's protecting other guys in the batting order. Now, because of injuries, he may wind up having to 
play either at first base or maybe a little bit in the outfield. What a bargain acquisition to get him and his leadership qualities in the clubhouse and oh, his yeah. ability to still swing the stick for $1.5 million. I don't know what to tell you about Juan Soto. Um, when, when you're you're hitting two twenty one, after hitting two thirty two, I look at him, and he just looks mechanically to be a mess in the batter's box. And now he's openly admitted that I'm not comfortable with the pitch clock. Well, I, you watch him in this Mets series. His movement in the batter's box. He's always moving around. I think that impacts his mechanics. Does he hit an occasional long home run? Sure he does. But anybody can walk into a bad pitch and hit it out when you're as big and powerful. But to be hitting at the batting average that he was hitting at and just not making much contact, there's no consistency whatsoever. I look at him and I just say he is mechanically messed up. And I don't know how you fix it in the middle of the season. But he's got to stop moving around in that batter's box as the pitch is on its way. So there's a, I think there's a big issue there. Maybe it's got to do with pressure. Maybe it's got to do with confidence. But this is not the Juan Soto we saw for a couple of years yes, no way. with the Washington Nationals at all. Joe Musgrove, a bit of a setback, a little bit of a tweak of the shoulder, pushing his second rehab start in El Paso back to the middle of the week. If there are no setbacks, maybe he'll be back here by next weekend. If there is a setback, then have to take this thing a little bit longer. Nobody's talking about Fernando Tatis. Now understand this. He had a whole month ramp up for spring training when he was down in Arizona. So he hit the floor running in spring training, played the exhibition games, etc. Suspension kicks in opening day, goes to El Paso. He's hit one home run. He's only got three hits in a whole week's worth of baseball, and he's batting at the top of the order every night for El Paso in the PCL. He's 3-for-13, sitting 231, got a bunch of walks. The question that I will pose, nobody else has brought this up, is this the same Fernando Tatis? Because I, I thought if, if he was totally back, totally healthy, and he was hitting home runs in batting practice and hitting the ball in the limited exhibition games in the Cactus League, you'd think he'd go down to AAA and he would tee off on every minor league pitcher he saw. And he's only 3-for-13, which kind of really stuns me. So, you know, that's minor league pitching. What's going to happen when he faces major league pitching, max effort guys, every night of the week? So they're not saying that he's ailing. But to me, it just does not look right that he's not getting around on pitches. Where's the power? You know, I thought he'd be spraying balls all over the place. I thought he'd be hitting 625 in AAA if he were back. So I ask you the question, is he back? So those are my opinions in small sample size of what we've seen with Padre Baseball so far. John, your reaction? I, don't worry about Tatis. He's going to be fine, especially when you put him at the top of the order. I mean, he's in El Paso. They're going to be pitching around the guy. You know, that one pitcher, remember, he, he got embarrassed by him, and he went to Twitter and embarrassed himself uh, for calling out Tatis. But I think he'll be fine. You put him at the top of the order, and this offense for the Padres is going to be just great. It's going to be dynamic. But how about Nelson Cruz, man? He gets the eye surgery. We might have a guy that is really going to outperform that contract. I mean, imagine if we get the Nelson Cruz of old with 20-20 vision, and he's going to be hitting 20 home runs. It's a guy who used to hit 40 home runs. I mean, he's had some really, really great years in the league. Understand, though, 
small sample size. Are you pleased with the two starting pitchers at the back oh, end of the rotation? Love them. Looks like AJ hit the jackpot. Yeah, those guys have been great. I mean, like to you say, they're, they're innings eaters, they're horses. Um, frankly, they're outperforming the, the front end of the rotation. I guess Darvish is going tonight against the Mets, so we'll see how he does. But you know, going back to your comments about Soto, you know, we, we saw glimpses of him coming around. I think he had a home run in Atlanta and another one that was just missed being a home run. But what do you think about his defense? I mean, it seems like he pulls up on a lot of balls, balls that could be caught, and they're just letting them drop in. His metrics in right field last year for the Padres were not very good, so they moved him to the left field where he played a lot for the Washington Nationals. I, I watch body language. It's like, John, he has trouble picking up the ball off the bat. You know, what direction should he go? Does he take a step in when the ball is hit? Does he take a step back? Is he a step slow in terms of getting out to cut the angle down? Uh, he, he looks shaky to me defensively. Uh, I don't know if it's playing left field and having trouble with the lights, but we're not talking about a newbie here. This guy played a ton of left field for the Washington Nationals. So to me, nothing seems right with Juan Soto. Yeah. I mean, again, you hope these guys are going to come around, but I mean, they, they scored 10 runs last night. But that's you know? against AAA pitchers who are probably going back to the International League tomorrow from Atlanta. Yeah, but hey, we'll take it. I mean, you know, I just, I'm just happy to see these guys hitting. And so now we'll go to New York tonight. We'll see how they do there. To your point, yeah, they don't have some of their top guys. Uh, they don't have, uh, you know, Diaz, the closer. But uh, I don't know. I just feel good about this team. They're a small sample size. They're in first place, right? You're so, allowed. I, I grant you permission to be a fanatical fan doing the show from left field. That's okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> next topic on the table. Let's talk about the next team here in Southern oh, yeah. California. So the, the Dodgers. So this is the interesting experiment. With that whole roster reshuffling, how are they performing for this uh, beginning of the season? They got their brain speed out by Arizona. Ooh. By Arizona. Now, I will say this. When we did our MLB preview a couple weeks ago, I said Arizona might be a surprise team. They've been building, building with a lot of young guys, and maybe this is the breakthrough year. Boy, did they bust up the Dodger pitching staff. They just jumped all over the starters for the Dodgers. The Dodgers' opinion after the game on Sunday night was, let's just wash this away. We got a lot of work to do. Uh, Julio Urias has just been unbelievable at the front of the rotation. Uh, there's there's no doubt Dustin May is back. He's throwing 101 miles an hour, and he's pitching with anger. Uh, <laughs> Noah Syndergaard had one really good outing, then he got smoked over the weekend by Arizona. And then because of injuries, they had to bring up Michael Grove, hot young prospect, pitched well spring training. He got lit up. Syndergaard and Grove gave up a combined 12 runs Whoa. Saturday and Sunday to Arizona. Now, the Dodgers right now have got three established starters. One of the problems, Ryan Pepio, the young right-hander that had won the fifth spot in the rotation. He's currently on the injured list because of an oblique, maybe back shortly. But the Dodgers just are not the complete Dodger team. We'll say this, James Altman, that's a player. Uh, I don't think the Dodgers are surprised with this kid hitting two ninety eight. But he's got three home runs, a couple triples, doubles, puts the ball in play. He's catching everything in the outfield. Looks like that's the heir apparent that's going to work out when they decided to get rid of, of Cody Bellinger. But they, they got holes other places. Max Muncy's hitting two twelve. You know, he has not been the same player uh, over the last year plus. He had a terrible season last season. Uh, the young second baseman, Vargas, Sitting about 223 now. He's, he's walking a lot, but he's not putting the ball in play. 
I don't know how you could be Miguel Rojas, the shortstop they got from the Marlins, with all that experience and carrying those gold gloves and hit 118. So, so the Dodgers right now, collectively as a team, small sample size, I understand that. <laughs> just just not the same ball club right now. Uh, this will change if Pepio comes off the injured list with this oblique and can be what he was in spring training. That's going to help change things. But, boy, what a rugged weekend to have Arizona just beat your brains in. Yeah, I mean, it's something. But, you know, they've got some good players. That Corbin Carroll is a real dynamic yep. young outfielder for the team. Um, you know, it, it just the, the, there's a little bit of a changing of the guard going on in the NL West. Um, but, you know, the Dodgers are they're going to figure it out. They're going to get some of their guys back. But, you know, what about guys like uh, J.D. Martinez? I mean, how are they performing to start the season? Martinez is hitting two eighty nine. Now, that's, a, that, that's cameo appearances. Maybe he's got to be in the lineup every day right now. That's a veteran player. Mm-hmm. David Peralta, though, sitting 174, not doing anything at all. And this was after a subst- <coughs> excuse me, substandard season uh, in Arizona. So the Dodgers right now, the pieces have just not come together. Let's talk about the third team in Southern California because, boy, we got something to talk about. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, this is we're going to talk about Phil Nevin and his squad out there in Anaheim. I mean, what's happening there? Uh, last I checked, one of the co-anchors of this bonus podcast picked the Angels to finish in first place. That was you. Uh, Angels are doing pretty well. Small sample size, I understand. But Shohei Otani sitting three thirty-three. Mike Trout healthy, hitting three fifty-five. Uh, Gio Ursula, the ex-Yankee, he's hitting I think three forty-four. No, those are the only three guys they're hitting, but they're getting guys on base and they're driving balls over the fence. And Otani has been brilliant as a starting pitcher. Tyler Anderson's got one good start, one shaky start. Uh, the bullpen's got some leaks in it. Uh, they they signed Carlos Estevez of Colorado to be their closer. Hasn't done it yet. A couple other guys have really high ERAs, but the Angels are just bashing the baseball. So that's the good news there. The fact that they won two of three in Seattle against what many other people think might be the first place Mariners, that's a real good sign. And we still got to get these pitchers to come together. Now, here's a screwball story. Bad news. <laughs> okay. I've been doing this a long time as a talk show host. I did minor league play by play. I understand you're going to have nights where the kid pitchers can't locate the ball. Tell me if you've ever heard the story. Angels double-A affiliate in the Southern League, playing Chattanooga. Angel pitchers, all these young prospects, have combined to throw a no-hitter. Hey. They throw a no-hitter and lose the game 7-5. to five. The Angel <laughs> rookie pitchers walk six batters in one inning, hit three other batters in the same inning, and had the guys behind him make two errors. They gave up seven runs to Chattanooga, and they lost the no-hitter. They finished the game. No hits allowed, but lost the game (laughs) seven to five. Only the Angels could execute something like this. Your turn. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're the manager of that team, you got to be going out of your mind. He used three pitchers. He yeah. used everybody but the second baseman to pitch. Exactly. Nobody so, could find home plate. That's just unbelievable. Um, but I you saw know, the video. It oh, was yeah. hilarious. Well, I saw the video of Trout hitting that home run up to the truck, you know, in center field in Anaheim Stadium. So it's nice to see him back. You know, it's like the old Trout. But, you know, I'm talking about Shohei Otani, and, and I'm going to take a little digression here. 
you know, Shohei Otani, this dominant player that can hit and can pitch. Did you see the news on the kid in Division II uh, college baseball that pitched a no-hitter and hit for the cycle in the same game. Wow. So he plays for the University of um, Indianapolis, a D2 kid, and he's from San Diego. He went to Poway High School, a kid named Brady Ware. So it's like another Shohei Otani coming along. So I'd love to see that. But, you know, hey, you called the Angels to win the division. I would love to see them do that for once and get these superstars into the playoffs. Small sample size right now. I'm not ordering World Series tickets for anybody. I'm just putting topics on the table. Our bonus coverage continues in a minute. We're going to talk basketball, but John wants to remind you again about Fans Forum and what's coming up when we're done here. Okay, so yeah, I'm just looking at all the stuff here. We've got comments from Wolfpack and Frank Carulli and Pedro Rosario. I mean, it's loading up here in the Fans Forum, so keep typing in your questions in the Facebook and YouTube. We'll get to those and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts on YouTube and on all the audio-only platforms. And a reminder, go to my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. I write on it every day when you get up in the morning, first thing you should check because it has all the sports stories. And by the way, we invite you to share with all your friends, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on email, whether it's Instagram, any of the other social platforms, share with them and introduce them to what we're doing with our bonus podcast on Monday, our regular podcast on Thursday, and Hacksaw's website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. On we go. Let's talk NBA. Yeah, so the NBA playoffs are getting started. So um, you know, we were wondering if the Lakers were going to make it, if they were going to be in the play-in game. So now the brackets are all set. Let's see what happens. Uh, play-in games start Tuesday. Lakers won nine of their last 11. That's impressive. Mm -hmm. Lucky they played garbage teams to win nine of their last 11, and they struggled in a bunch of those games, and they still won nine of their last 11. I'm sorry for LeBron James to stand up in the locker room after the Sunday game and say, this is cool. We're in the playoffs. We made it. What's cool about being in seventh place in the Pacific Division when you play in that building with all those championship banners? What's cool about winning 43 games just a shade above the 500 mark? That's not cool. That's not Laker basketball. These guys open with the play-in game. They finish seventh. They meet Minnesota, which finished eighth. If they win that game, they move on to the second round of the playoffs. If they lose that game, they have to come back Wednesday, and they have to play the survivor of the other game in, in the Pacific Division. And, of course, what happens after that? The survivor, the Lakers, if they, if they win, they're going to wind up having to go to Denver. Denver finished first in the division. They're in, in the uh, Western Conference. So it's a huge thing. The Lakers are glad they're together. They're still erratic. LeBron and AD have to do most of the work, but they're in, so we'll see what happens on Tuesday. The Clippers, they finished really upbeat. They finished really strong. They're not healthy. But the one thing that differentiates the Clippers from the Lakers, not just Kawhi Leonard, obviously, but they got a lot of firepower. And they got two centers that really bump and grind and make a difference. Uh, you know, if, if the Clippers can come out and shoot threes, and then Kawhi does what Kawhi does, because at this point does not look like Paul George is back, uh, at least for the first round, then the Clippers have the opportunity to go a couple rounds into the playoffs and anything is possible if they get Paul George back. 
Uh, but the Clippers are not in the playing round. The Clippers wait till Friday, and then they renew their rivalry with the Phoenix Suns. And you're going to have to go through Phoenix to be able to go to the next next round of the playoffs. And the Suns are going to have Kevin Durant back. I don't think they're going to have Devin Booker back, which is a that's a big help to the Clippers team. But right now we've seen some real firepower when those guys are on, and, and they got a lot of guys who can shoot threes. And Kawhi is Kawhi. That's a pretty dangerous basketball team. So is it cool the Lakers finished in seventh <laughs> no. place? And what do you think about the Clippers shooting threes? No, I mean the Lake. That's just pathetic. I mean, come on with that with that with that history, that legacy. You have to be disappointed that you're the number seven seed. But I tell you, man, I'm. I'm, I'm I'm rooting for these Clippers. Now, granted, I'm a San Diego guy. I should be angry, right, that they left San Diego 30-something years ago. Oh, Donald Sterling left San Diego. That yeah. was good. But, you know, I remember, like, it was in the 90s, right after, was it the 90s or the 2000s, when the Clippers drafted Blake Griffin? And remember, then he blew out his knee, like, right away. And Sports Illustrated did a whole story about the curse of the Clippers, going all the way back to the Buffalo Braves days, to San Diego Clippers and the L.A. Clippers. I mean, this this is a team that, you know, you want to see them have some success. A lot of bad history. Yeah, I mean, we need them to turn the corner. And I'm a big Kawhi fan. I was. I hope Paul George can come back. Westbrook seems to be reinvigorated. I mean, they could find their way in, in, in a magical run here. Let's, 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 let's hope so. Well, on the playoffs begin Tuesday, and the Clippers kick it into gear on Friday, and there will be some great, great matchups, obviously, between some of these really high-powered teams. One other basketball note, John. Yeah, th- this celebration for the Aztecs at Snapdragon, I saw clips of this. That was a beautiful event with the red carpet, welcoming all those players coming in and the speeches. Man, I, I should have been there. It was it was good. It was fun. Uh, now the real work begins because the Aztecs have to go into the transfer portal and see if they can if they can grab two to three guys. They're looking for a wing shooter to replace Matt Bradley. Obviously, they need something different on the post with Nathan Mensah leaving, but it was neat. How about this? The mayor. The mayor gave Brian Dutcher the keys to the city. Cool. That's great. Dutcher lives a block from me over here in Rancho Bernardo. Hmm. So I emailed Dutch and I said, take those keys down to the city garage, unlock the door. Use your power, your influence, and your city keys to get these guys from the maintenance department to come up and fill all the potholes on your street <laughs> and my street in Rancho Bernardo because the mayor sure hasn't done it. But what what great accolades. What a great way to, to finish the season. What a great honor for Brian Dutcher. And now next year has begun this week. Yeah, so they, this is a big off season for them. And we don't know if Keyshot's coming back. So you know, we'll see. But uh, – I just love the fact that this, the San Diego community, first of all, they didn't have the parade, which was smart. But I, when I saw that red carpet, I just thought, man, that's classy. It makes these kids feel good about what they accomplished and getting that love back from the community. I think it was just terrific. And you know, they each individually came up that red carpet just like they were going to the Grammys. Um, so I think that was really, really special. So, you know, look, things are looking up for the Aztec basketball here in San Diego. Well, they're, they're, they're talking to the seven-foot center from Nevada. They're talking to the top defensive player in the conference from uh, USC, the guard. So we'll see where this goes. Transfer portal window is now open. From basketball, let's talk hockey, NHL. 
Yeah, so, I mean, we got a lot going on here. The NBA is going to the playoffs, and so is the NHL. So bring me up to speed here, Axel. Well, let's start with the LA Kings and the Anaheim Ducks, and let's just go through the storylines in the NHL. I don't have a vote in this. I wish I did. The LA Kings are going to the playoffs. They have won 45 games this season. Two years removed from really awful hockey, they have rebuilt this. And I think Rob Blake should be the general manager of the year because his acquisitions, whether it was the signing of Pierre Dano from the Montreal Canadiens two years ago, whether it was the trade that brought the 30-goal scorer Kevin Fiala from the Minnesota Wild, whether it was the drafting of young guys, and they've got a host of young guys that are all contributing, it was the ballsy trade of the goaltender Jonathan Quick and the discovery of Phoenix Copley, who's been raging hot as the, as the Kings goaltender. That's a pretty good hockey team. Now, they're going to run right face first, probably wind up having to face the Edmonton Oilers in the first round. But to be where they were two years ago, to where they are tonight with 45 wins and a couple more games this season before the playoffs begin, Rob Blake is my general manager of the year. Uh, let, let's talk about the, the Ducks. They're at the other end of the spectrum, and this has been painful, and this has really been awful. Uh, they are force-feeding all their young kids. Uh, the Ducks have struggled. They've won only 23 games, I think, out of the 78 that they've played. It's been really hard to put Trevor Zegras and Mason McTavish and Jamie Drysdale before he got hurt on the ice all together and say, go play those superstars. It's been a challenge. I hope it doesn't claim the career of the coach Dallas Akins, the ex-Skulls coach, because I think he's really good. I think he's a thinking man's coach. But he's been positioned in a really tough situation by the new administration and the general manager that we got these kids, let's play these kids, they'll learn on the job. So it's it's been a real tough year. They're going to get a real high draft pick. I don't know if they're going to get the number one or the number two pick. I hope that they do, because the only way – the Ducks are going to get back to being who they used to be, which would be in a playoff team and even maybe get in the Stanley Cup Finals, is they got to get these kids on the ice, get them experience. These kids have to grow together, and they're starting to grow. But like I say, 23 wins out of 78 games is not good. Uh, it's been a pitiful year for the San Diego Gulls. This is a direct response to what's happened in Anaheim with the Ducks taking all the kids and saying, we'll put them in the NHL. We're not going to play in the A. Uh, they've turned the roster over at midseason. Their season is almost over. They're in last place. They have the wor- the least number of wins in the American Hockey League. They have the worst goal scoring and the worst defense goals allowed in the AHL. And where they used to draw 12,000 per game on weekends from Christmas on, they're drawing seven and fives and 4,000. Uh, it, it's too bad. It, it, unfortunately, it, it comes with being the farm club for a top team. Because your responsibility is, yeah, if you win games, that's nice. Your responsibility is to get these kids ready to go to the NHL. It's really been a painful year. I don't know if there's going to be a house cleaning at the end of the season in terms of the goals leadership. I'm sorry. The Ducks destroyed a very good American Hockey League franchise. Hopefully it's an aberration. Hopefully, because they've signed a whole bunch of college kids and undrafted free agents in the last three weeks. Hopefully, this is a one-time occurrence, and goals hockey will bounce back to what goals hockey used to be. How about the Boston Bruins? 
Never happened. The Bruins have now won 63 games this season. Wow. They got 60 goal scorers led by David Pasternak. Best team in the NHL, totally dominating everybody. We're a week out from the start of the playoffs, and it looks like their first-round matchup is going to be with the high-powered Toronto Maple Leafs. By the way, Boston Bruins hockey has not been like this since the Phil Esposito-Bobby Orr era. And that was a few slap shots ago, so that (laughs) has really been impressive. And equally impressive is this guy in Edmonton, Connor McDavid of the Oilers. He now, with a week to go in the season, he's got 64 goals. He's got 87 assists. He's got 151 points. You talk about a generational player. And they're good. They got firepower. They got some holes on the back end defensively, and I think the Oilers have question marks in, in in the crease. But think about those numbers: 151 points for Connor McDavid. The stats that he put up this year have not been put up since Mario Lemieux played for the Pittsburgh Penguins in the 1990s. So, wow, th- this is a tremendous player. NHL playoffs are going to be unbelievable. And right now, the way these standings are falling. It might be the L.A. Kings against the Edmonton Oilers in the first round. And I love playoff hockey. Okay, so that's my thoughts standing on the blue line, firing slap shots, yours. Well, talking about hockey, I mean, obviously the Bruins are going to be the heavy favor going into the playoffs. Is there a team here that we should be looking at that, because I know playoff hockey, is they take it up a number of notches in intensity. Is there a team here that we should be looking at as maybe a dark horse or a Cinderella that would be a fun one to root for? Well, I'm a Maple Leaf fan. It's only been a few years since 1967 <laughs> that they all. raised the Stanley Cup, <laughs> the richest team in the league. Uh, you know, I'd hate to see them get knocked out in the first round, but that does look like you're playing the guys with the spoke wheel B on the front of their jerseys, Boston. Mm-hmm. Rangers are tough. I, I think the New York Rangers are something that you need to pay attention to. Uh, Edmonton. Edmonton's got enormous firepower. I just don't know if you can live through four rounds of the NHL playoffs thinking you can outscore everybody because you're going to meet hot goaltenders. You're going to meet really good defensive teams. But I, I would I would say right off the top, those are the names worth watching. But I'm, I'm hoping we rally our American Hockey League team back because the Gulls have a great, great tradition, and they had done a great job. But this is this is all on the Ducks front office, and they knew they knew they had to rebuild the big club. I never thought that they would take its toll on the minor league team the way it has. I'm hoping it's just a one-and-done situation. We get back to goals hockey. I saw you sitting down there drinking beer behind the plexiglass, <laughs> banging on yeah, the thing yeah. against the player from Bakersfield. I saw yeah, you. Yeah, that's right. All right. One more topic on the table. Let's talk about something really, really different. Yeah, so we were talking a little bit about the English Premier League. I mean, some of these teams here are just spectacular. I mean, Man City is having another great run. So what's the latest in England? Everybody's chasing Arsenal. The Gunners have the best team in the mm-hmm. English Premier League, the 20-team the league. That's one storyline. Can anybody get close to Arsenal? Uh, the second storyline is what's happened at the bottom of the standings. They have in soccer what's called relegation. There's 20 teams in the EPL. If you're... The bottom three teams in the standings at the end of the season, you're out of the league. (laughs) Love that. You go down one notch. Mm -hmm. You go to what's called the championship league. Well, we've got a couple of legendary teams that are on the brink of being relegated out. Leicester City and Everton. 
Oh, I mean, wow. this is shocking. And Chelsea, the Blues, have had a miserable season, too. Now, I don't know if they're going to f- fall into the relegation conversation in the next three or four weeks before the season ends. So we got the really good teams at the top, the bad teams at the bottom. And then we got the goal scorers. Uh, Hotspur, Tottenham, Harry Kane, who's got 268 career goals in the EPL. Legendary player. Harry Kane there in the white jersey, just set an all-time record in international play. He scored his 54th goal representing England. When you think of English soccer, you think of the legendary Wayne Rooney. Mm. You think of the 1950s and 60s star Bobby Charlton. Uh, There's so many other great English players that have worn that crest of the three lions. Uh, Gary Lineker is another one that comes to mind. Well, he just scored his 54th goal in international play, which bypasses all those other legendary names that I just mentioned. Highly regarded player, not a great personality, (laughs) not a unique interview, uh, but just, just a sniper. And the guy wearing the blue jersey, we talked about him very early in the season. He's from Norway. He plays for Manchester City. He has just scored his 44th and 45th goals of the season. Uh, Erlen Harland from Norway. What a gem of a player. And I think he's only 23 or 24 years of age. And he is shot by all the other young budding stars that the EPL has. And they know he's going to get the ball. They know how to mark him. They check him. They beat him up. They foul him. And he's got 45 goals already this season with three weeks to go. Just a spectacular individual. Yeah, so I remember watching the you know the U.S. when they played England, and I'd always been hearing about this Harry Kane guy, and that dude's legit. I mean, I was really impressed by the way he played ball. Crafty. Very, yeah, just, he was just a really great talent. So, you know, this is, I just love the fact that the English Premier League is becoming more popular in America, that we're kind of coming together. It's not just a sport that Europe thinks about and the rest of the world world, frankly, thinks about. But America is really coming along as it pertains to soccer. So, you know, good on those guys. Okay. Bonus time coming up. Before we start, John, quickly, before we go to the Fans Forum, just uh, tell the people on our live stream how they can get involved with Fans Forum and what they should do in terms of accessing all the data we put together uh, during the week on our podcast package. Yeah. So to access all the data, you can, uh, you, we, you know, we're doing the live streams, which are, you know, these hour long podcasts. We do those every Thursday and virtually every Monday. And then we've got the, uh, the video clips that we spread out throughout the week. And we're also doing these these vertical shorts, these less than 60 second videos are putting those on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. So hacksaws everywhere online. So be sure to follow, like, subscribe and share across all of the different uh, social media platforms. And yeah, we're going to be on you know YouTube and, and on all of your audio only platforms. And we're now going to get started with the fans forum. We, you could still jump in. There's been a lot of comments. I'm hoping we could fit everyone in. Uh, so just type in your question or comment on Facebook or on, on YouTube. And a reminder, please check my website. You'll really like it. I write stuff every day, LeeHacksawHamilton.com, whether it's Hacksaw's Headlines, Best 15 Minutes in Sports, or my One Man's Opinion column. And we want you to share with all your friends, your followers,
followers or teammates, the things we're doing on our podcast and what we're doing on our website. Pick a question because we got answers, John. Time for fans form. Yeah. So here's a question. This is probably about Tiger here from Wolfpack 1977. Are golf carts not allowed during these tournaments? They are not. Not during the PGA Tour. You know, on on charity events, things that Tiger has played in the past, the events with his son, you can use a golf cart. But on the PGA Tour, no, you cannot. There was a collegiate golf star. I want to say five to seven years ago, and his name. It, it slips my mind right now. And he had a withered leg problem from birth. And he earned his tour card. It was absolutely amazing. And he was on the tour, and he was pretty competitive. But he really struggled to stay up physically and hold up. And there had been dialogue and discussion, should we make an exception for this exceptional young collegiate star to do this? And they decided not to allow it. And he he lasted a couple of years and then just kind of stepped away mm-hmm. after he graduated from college. But no, uh, you cannot use a cart on the PGA Tour. Yeah, that's that's interesting to me. You know, because I remember the, in the Masters last you know, yesterday, they were talking about one of the amateurs that did really well. And they say, well, next weekend he's got to carry his own clubs. Yeah, you know, Texas when he goes, A&M. Yeah, so when he goes and plays in college. Sam Bennett. But I'm surprised that they don't allow the car. I guess it's just sort of the old school mentality of the golf people, right? That's it. Okay. Next question. Okay, so this one is from uh, Pedro Rosario. Does Hacksaw believe any of these San Diego State basketball players can play in the NBA? Not really. Um, I think Jaden Ledee has an NBA body, and I think if he continues to develop his game, yes. Uh, Keisha Johnson might be an NBA defensive specialist because he's so big and he plays so long, but his offense is really negligible. Now, I hope he stays, and I said last week he needs to spend every minute of every day in the summer if he's staying working on his offense, because I think his defense is fine, and there's no doubt that he's got these great physical skills and he's a specimen. But if he can refine things like a short jump shot, if he can refine a hook shot with that 6'9 frame and those long arms, it's just going to add to his resume. Uh, but I, I don't think there are any other NBA guys on that roster. Next question. Okay, so here, here this is one's from Frank Carulli, and he says, all right, Hamilton, keep that NHL talk coming. You got it. Uh, you know, I came out of a hockey background. Uh, I did hockey uh, before I became the voice of the Chargers in the NFL. Uh, grew up in the sport, love the sport. It's it's a really different sport. And I will tell you, the postseason is so different. You just don't understand the tenacity once the playoffs begin. You don't understand when you walk in the room before the first playoff game and the atmosphere is so electric and so intense and so different and the pressure in the playoffs, you don't want to be the one that makes a mistake that takes the bad penalty. You don't want to turn the puck over in front of your net. You make sure you don't throw a cross-ice pass that winds up on somebody's stick on the slot right in the face of your goaltender. Mm -hmm. The guys, the pressure, you can cut through it with a pair of scissors. It's just, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal experience. And of course, it's capped off by the final game that's played between teams with the utter show of sportsmanship. They shake hands at the at the final game, regardless of who did what to whom during the course of the seven-game series. So 
It's electric. If you like hockey, you need to be with us because if not, you're going to get cross-checked in the corner, and we will talk puck as part of our bonus coverage. Are all the rounds of the playoffs in the NHL seven-game series? Yes, they are now. Okay, well, way to go. we got a couple of, co- uh, of hockey questions here, and this one's from Ryan Kennedy, and he says, I think Jonathan Quick still has an axe to grind, showing the Kings he still has it during these upcoming playoffs. He looked pissed um, that, that he wasn't playing against the Kings on Thursday night. I, th- I think Jonathan's still got gas left in the tank. He's had a bunch of injuries. That's been an issue. And he was kind of victimized as being a great player as the team started to go into rebuild mode. And then obviously he kind of lost his starting job. Uh, But he got a new lease on life. He's playing for Vegas. And Vegas is one of the top teams out west. They in Seattle. And you know, he may get a chance to play against the Kings. And like I think, Jonathan's had a really good career. I don't know if they'll ever erect a statue <laughs> out front of Crypto.com Arena next to Gretzky and those guys, but maybe they should consider it. He's a really fine, fine goaltender. Okay, let's move along here. Got some more questions. This one's uh, from James Perez. He says, do you think the pitch clock is affecting the veteran pitchers, especially since the time and the half innings are shorter now as well? Well, it's it's an interesting dynamic. Um, I think some of the pitchers are struggling, but not a lot. There have not been a lot of pitch violations on the mound. Um, I do think the pitch clock has changed the game strategically. Uh, you know, their stolen bases have just rocketed through the ceiling. Uh, the first two weeks of the baseball season, <laughs> everybody is running now. And suddenly speed is going to become a focal point to the makeup of your roster. Uh, I don't, But I, I don't get the sense the pitchers are struggling. Now, John and I talked about this last week. When we get to the warm weather... A week from now in St. Louis and Kansas City and a few of these other places. Mm -hmm. And pitchers get fatigued. And there is no time to step off that mound and go, catch your breath. Because you got to get back up on the mound because you got 15 seconds. I think the pitchers in hot weather cities are going to stress on this a little bit. Now, in terms of the batters, well, we talked about Juan Soto. He does not look comfortable in the batter's box, and there's no standing around, and there's no doing this with the gloves. And so there, I think there are a select group of bats that are struggling with that pitch clock and maybe getting psyched out about it. But I, I do think it's been good for the game. I also think that the, the ban of the shift is going to lead to batting averages that are continuing to go up and up. Uh, last year, I mentioned this a week ago, Last year, collectively, teams hit 242 in baseball with the shift. Uh, the, as of the first week of the season, they were hitting 250. The second week of the season, teams hit 255. So, John, you do the math. There has been an incremental jump each week. Uh, in batting averages in baseball because there is no shift. Yeah, I mean, did you see um, ESPN's Sunday night game where they had the the microphone on Machado right. playing third base and they were asking him, what did you think about the shift? And he's like, well, you know, it's just taking a little getting used to. And he talked about how, yeah, there's a lot more athleticism, balls getting through the hole. I mean, what's your take on that? Do you like having the athletes with the mic on during the middle of the game? If they talk baseball. I don't really need to know what he does on Sunday night with his kids at home. I don't care what their favorite candy is. Talk (laughs) baseball to the man. So it's it's okay. uh, If I were a player, you know, and there's guys at first and second base, and I'm playing at third, and and I'm having to talk to Buster Olney in between pitch, I would find that a distraction. Mm hmm. 
but he he just seemed to enjoy it. And again, it's only for 30 seconds to a minute, whatever. But if you could do it, talk baseball with me. Don't tell me about Easter bunnies and candy with your kids and jelly <laughs> beans and all that. Yeah, exactly. All right, next question. Okay, let's move on. We want to get to some of these um, YouTube comments because we got a whole bunch of them in here. So let's go down the list. And here's one right here. This is from uh, Paul Jones talking about Austin Eckler. He goes, go already, Eckler. Oh, you know, you're, you're, you're sending us this message from left field. If you let Austin Eckler go, you lose an enormous chunk of your offense. He's a really good NFL running back. Run and catch. He makes that quarterback better. There's nobody else on the roster that has ever shown they can do what he does. Uh, but it does not appear that he's going to get any type of pay hike nor contract extension. So he will play this year unhappy as he is, puts up good numbers, then he has a chance to be a walk-free agent. I think the one thing that stunned me around the National Football League is nobody's talking about the NFL draft and running backs. It's like the running back has become persona non grata. Hmm. There's a great running back at the University of Texas. There's a bunch of them around the country, and they're almost an afterthought. It's become a quarterback's league. It's become a throwing league. It's become great players on defense league. So Eckler's just at this time in the NFL. They don't seem to place a value. Now, he's making 6.2 mil. Last I checked, I'd run the ball for 6.2 mil. I know <laughs> you would, too. Because <laughs> yeah. we combined, we don't make 6.2 mil. Uh, but it's it's sad. But don't denigrate Austin Eckler. He's been a really good player. And if there was no Austin Eckler here... And I'm surprised he's never had a major injury because he is so small, but he's so physical. If he had not been here, this offense would not be considered a playoff team at all. Now, there's trade rumors now, too, right, that he might be going somewhere. So we'll see. Nobody else is willing to take on a $6 million contract. Why? Because it's like the NFL has devalued the running back position. Mm. Okay, let's move along. We've got a, some comments here about the, uh, the the Padres. This is from No Name. <laughs> Talk about Soto. He goes, in the time I've been going to games, the Rockies just seem to have the Padres number. They seem to always peel a couple of games off in a series. And as for Soto, can't really explain it other than it must be above the shoulders with him. Maybe he's struggling with expectations, which wasn't an issue when he was playing with the Nationals. No, because he was a rock-solid player. I think his career batting average in Washington wound up being 290, 292 before he came here in the trade. And like I say, at 232 last year, he's hitting the 220s right now. He just does not look mechanically right to me. And I guess if this is what blows my mind, you got smart people in that dugout led by Bob Melvin. And you got all these hitting coaches and these accolades. And he's the guy from St. Louis that came as the administrative assistant, yeah. Mike Schilt, the Schilt, former yeah. manager. Mm-hmm. You got all these smart guys. How come they can't figure him out and get him situated, comfortable in the box? There's no doubt he's a great physical specimen. I was perturbed last year, John, because I thought he was trying to hit every ball to Mission Bay. <laughs> His uppercut, everything was to try to knock it out of the yard. And his batting average suffered. But when you got all these smart people in the dugout, is there nobody that sees any mechanical flaws? You know, if you're moving around on the box, you tell me where your bat position's going to be. If you're doing this, you tell me are you going to be able to get around with the make the connection on the sweet part of the bat if you're doing this all the time. There's something not right with him. We'll see if he hits his way out of it. It's small sample size this season, yes, but we had a whole season 
last season where we saw the exact same thing happen. Thoughts? Well, he just bought a house in Coronado. So maybe he's starting to settle in a bit. I don't know. I have confidence it's going to work out. I, I, I really enjoyed like Juan Soto's personality. Mm-hmm. You know, like when they did the thing in spring training where they walked by the camera and they'd ask him a goofy question, he always has something fun to say. So he was a good guy to root for. Uh, so I, I, he'll come around. I mean, it's not going to be, I mean, the dude needs to make 40, 50 million. I mean, he, he turned down 440, right? So well, he's, I think he's feeling the pressure, the expectation, but he can't use the explanation New stadium, new team, Petco Park, new environment, different division. You can't use that anymore. You're a veteran guy. He's got to go produce the numbers. Next question. Okay, let's go to the NFL. we got a comment here from Andrew Crokin. He says, hey, since Lamar Jackson is being traded from the Ravens, then they can go get TCU quarterback Max Duggan to replace Lamar Jackson as the team's new starting QB for week one in the 2023 season. You know, it's interesting. All these quarterbacks this week and next are all making their final visits. Max Duggan's name is not being mentioned anywhere. It, I'm not going to say he's fallen off the radar, but I don't think he's viewed as an upper echelon quarterback. I don't think he's viewed as a first-round quarterback. So, And there's nothing wrong with going in the second round or the third round of the right team, right system. But his name has not been mentioned at all. But I will say this to you. I think everything, Andrew, has changed in the last 24 hours. What I've been told with Baltimore out of nowhere – Signing Odell Beckham Jr. Oh, yeah. One year, 13 million base, potential to make 18 million. He's not eased up. He's 30 years of age. Granted, he's had two knee injuries. Averages 14 yards per catch. I think he's caught 54 touchdowns, 650 receptions. He can play, and they really need wide receiver help. I was told that Lamar Jackson is the one that made the call to Beckham come play in Baltimore. Mm. So if Lamar is influencing Beckham and the decision to sign, because he had talked to the Rams and he had talked to Cleveland, he had talked to the Cowboys back. If Lamar Jackson's doing that, that leads me to leave. Lamar Jackson is going to be the starting quarterback in Baltimore. Now, from point A, where we are at this hour on a Monday, to point B, when does he sign the contract and for how much and what about the guarantees? There's a big, big dis- distance there. But I was told from people in Baltimore, Lamar Jackson is the one that made the contact to convince Beckham, come play in Baltimore. And I don't think Beckham would be going there if Trace McSorley was the quarterback, the <laughs> yeah. backup guy, right. or Tyler Huntley. So I got to believe that they'll get this thing done in Baltimore. So maybe Lamar Jackson sticks around. So... um when, when is the draft? It's coming in a couple of weeks. Yeah, so we're, I think, 22 days out. Okay, so, I mean, everything's going to change again when the draft goes down, people parlaying. I mean, Jackson is such a tremendous player. Um, it'd be great to have Odell Beckham there. Oh. But is Jackson going to be happy in, in Baltimore, or is he going to be potentially peeved? Is, it, is he going to feel like he got punched in the face, just like Austin Eckler did? Would you be peeved if I made you sign this franchise tag and you had to do this podcast for $32 million for one year? That's what he gets with if he signs a franchise tag. Now, mm-hmm. he has no security long term, but the issue is you always can negotiate from the franchise tag fee and then you expand the contract. I think despite all the things that have been said and all the controversies that are swirling out there around him, I really firmly believe Lamar Jackson now is going to be the starting quarterback in Baltimore and they do 
run the ball well, and they rock solid defense. And now they got a star wide receiver in OBJ with all the other young wide receivers. So I, if I were a betting man, I think we'd be sharing crab cakes talking about Lamar Jackson in Baltimore next season. Hey, listen, we hope you've enjoyed our Monday bonus coverage. A lot of topics on the table. Remind you. We want you to share this experience with all your friends, regardless of what social platform you're on. Invite you to go to my website, check out all the written data I post every night. It's there the first thing every morning at LeeHacksawHamilton.com. Make sure you give us a thumbs up along the way. John, have yourself a great day. Thanks for being part of Bonus uh, Monday. Take your beers, go out to left field, watch the Padres play the New York Mets, and we'll be back here on Thursday to talk about it again. Looking forward to it. Hopefully they, they can run the table in New York. Have yourself a great day. Thanks for being with us on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.